you open to John's Gospel. Uh, though the passage will be up on the screen for you, we will also be looking at the verses that lead into it. The title is Called to Be His Friends and Chosen to Bear His Fruit. His Friends and His Fruit. And there in the passage up on the overhead and in your Bible, verses 15 and 16, Jesus says to his disciples, No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. So in, this, in these two verses, the Lord says to his disciples, the eleven at this point, because Judas, who was off on an errand of his own, had left them. Christ himself bid him to go. What you do do quickly. And he knew all along who Judas was and what Judas was made of. And he knew that Judas had participated in their ministry those three, three and a half years. He knew that Judas ultimately was going to defect. And the reason, of course, he defected is because all he had was religious externals and participation, but not a transformed heart. And we'll see this in a little bit here. There's a lot of confusion about the opening 11 verses of John 15, and there are those who even go as far as to say this passage teaches the loss of your salvation. I don't believe that, and I think the context of these verses point out fairly clearly that when he speaks of the branches that are pulled aside and thrown aside and ultimately burned, he's talking about the example of Judas, of those who would be those that defect, that betray, that wander off. They left us, the Apostle John said, because they were not really of us. And so that's my understanding of this passage. Now, today, I want you to see and I, I, I've asked the Lord, Lord, help me to communicate this today because I fear that this passage from verses, really, chapter 13 through 17 are so familiar to most believers that when I say we're going to be in John 15 today, you're, you could be tempted to yawn and say, oh, okay, we've been here a hundred times. Are you sure? Are you sure that you understand John 15? Do I understand it? And do I understand the force with which Christ is instructing his own? He tells them, I have called you my friends. Now, you know, it's one thing to have a friend that maybe has a name that others would recognize. It's always fun to be around a group of people that's, that are name-dropping. If you're a sports enthusiast, uh, you met Russell Wilson one time, 
and uh, you're going to go on and on about how you met him and talked to him when in fact he was two stalls over from you in the bathroom at the Coliseum. Stuff like that. But we're not talking about name dropping this morning. We're talking about the Lord Almighty who now reigns from the right hand of the throne of God who actually says of you, dear believer, I have called you my friend. Now that's a name to drop, isn't it? Or rather revere with a sense of wonder that you are connected to him. But not only that, he says, I've called you friends, and the proof of that is because I've held nothing back from you. And all that my Father has said to me, I've shared with you. You're not to walk in the dark. You're not one uh, with whom I keep secrets. I've made it known. And that's the word mysterion. In our New Testament, it's one of my favorite words. Mysterion. Do you hear the word mystery in that word? And in the New Testament, mystery or mysterion means something that was hidden and concealed in the past, but is now made known, opened up. The blinds have been opened, and we've been given the privilege and honor of seeing it and understanding it. So that it's not like a mystery, like a mystery novel or a mystery for Columbo to solve. It's not like that. It's revelation that's now made clear to God's people. Today we're going to be talking about what I think is the mystery of all mysteries. First of all, it's a mystery that the world, the world can't possibly understand. And it's also a mystery that God has made known to those he calls his friends. If you are his friend through faith in Jesus Christ, it's a mystery that God unfolds to you. So today we're going to be thinking about mystery. And it's this. Not only do I call you friends, but I have a purpose for your life. And that is that you bear fruit. And we'll talk a little bit about that because there's all kinds of different fruit and we're not all the same. And God gifts us differently and he uses us differently. But the life that honors God is a life that multiplies and makes a difference and brings forth fruit. So called to be his friends and chosen to bear fruit. Now let's look back at chapter 15, verse 1. And I want to quickly read verses 1 through 11, and I want you to just follow along. It won't be up above, so you'll need your Bible or just listen carefully. But I want you to see the context in which Jesus said these incredible words. Verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me 
and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Everyone, excuse me, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father, my Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And then we have the passage, no longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another. Now, over the years, I've been exposed, my brothers and sisters, to a number of different approaches to the Christian life. And I've delved in and studied a number of them. And I think I've benefited somewhat from all of them. But they all claim to have the market on spirituality, on, on the life of holiness, the life of godliness. They all claim that this is the way. Whether you're talking about the Keswick approach to, and the holiness movement, whether you're talking about more of a Wesleyan approach to perfect love, or you're talking about an Augustinian, more reformed approach, reformed approach, or the approach that is laid for out for us in the 17th century by the prolific writers of the Puritan era. I love them all, and I enjoy them all, and I benefit from them all, and I know some of what I'm saying right now maybe is outside your, your experience and outside your reading. But I think that there is a mystery that Christ reveals and makes so clear in these verses that if we were to just lay hold of this and just take him at his word, our lives in many ways would be revolutionized. 
our lives would be awakened and revived. But it won't happen accidentally. Nobody grows in godliness, nobody grows in fruitfulness accidentally. There is determination, there is purpose, there's initiative. It's very intentional. And I fear sometimes that we've been infected by the teaching that just says, well, just relax and let God, you know, let go and let God approach. Like there's nothing for us. But that's not true. And I think his followers and his disciples are called to live lives in their sphere of influence with purpose and with intentionality, um, with determination, and with a longing to so prove through good work, through connection to others, and through Christ living through us that we, as Jesus said, so prove to be my disciples. So, in other words, discipleship is, a, is actually a, a quantitative type of thing. Otherwise, he wouldn't have said, by this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. He wants us, you and me, to be fruitful. Now, I love this image of the vine. It's such a picturesque image because from the early days of the church and the mushrooming of the gospel in those early days and then, of course, the hostility that came from the world and the dispersion of the church throughout the world. And, you know, it's just staggering to think about it that for 2,000 years, this vine, the true vine, has been sending out his roots, and branch after branch after branch has been appearing on every continent, in every country, towns, villages, metropolitan areas. What's it going to be like, you guys? What's it going to be like when we finally are home and realize what an incredible vine that was when we see all the branches and get to enjoy seeing the fruit that came of faithful living, obedient living, walking with God, and, and affecting our little sphere of influence. There aren't any big shots in the, in the body of Christ, not really. Now, I know media and technology and mass crusades and things seem to make of us some big shots, some big cannons in the church, but you know, none of us are really big stuff. In fact, if we really came down to it, we would recognize we can't even produce fruit. We can bear fruit, but we aren't the ones that produce it. And so, I know I might seem like I'm rambling a little bit, but we're going somewhere with this. All of this is connected together, and I want you to see it as a whole. And here is how I understand these verses. And this isn't going to be the typical exposition where I walk from verse 1 to verse 2 to verse 3 and exposit and explain. This is not a running commentary. What I've done is I have assumed a certain amount of knowledge that you already possess. An understanding of John's gospel, an understanding of these chapters, I am, am assuming quite a bit. But I know you fairly well, and I know there's a, there's a lot of understanding out there. 
But sometimes we, get, we, we miss the forest for the tree we're standing in front of. And we don't see the whole picture. And I want you to see this because even though the vine is spread out over the earth and one day we're going to see the fruit of that vine standing before the throne of God and there before him from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, this vast multitude that no one can number is going to be there and you're among them. It's easy for us as Christians to feel like, well, I'm really fairly insignificant in this whole thing. But that's not really true. Because God values you. He called you to be his friend. And he called you with the purpose of bearing fruit. And he wants, this is our one shot at it, you guys. This is our one chance here on earth, in the lives that we have, to bear fruit for God. Well, how are we going to do that? Well, here I want to, and I'm using the word mystery on purpose, because I think it is a mystery. I think there's wonderment. How is it, Lord, that you and your word promise me, little Tony, in all your frailty and weakness, I want you to know that someday you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, And there, you're going to be rewarded for what was done in the body to the glory of God. And yet, in this passage, he says to me, without me, you can do nothing. So on one hand, without me, you can do nothing. And yet, what I do through you, I will one day reward you for. Go figure that he's so good, that he loves each of us so much that he works through our lives and tells us that as you abide in me and I work through you, I'm going to bring forth fruit. I produce it. But then I'm going to reward you for the fruit that you bore. How gracious is that? Kathy was saying, God is good. Well, that's good in a way that this world knows nothing about. He's going to reward you for what you allowed him to do through you. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> I'm stunned by that. Isn't, and, and so I don't apologize for the, for the term mystery. It seems mysterious to me. And there are times where I've got a phone call from somebody. In fact, it wasn't too long ago I got a phone call. And another time I bumped into somebody. And I remember years ago there was someone that was going through very, very dark, dark waters. And he got in trouble with the law and his family fell apart. And life was just, seemed to him decimated. And he was without a friend. And God just, It was one of those times where God just kept prompting me and prompting me, and so I made trips over to Ferry County to the to the county uh, lockup, and I went to the jail a number of times and visited him. When he tried to take his life, I went up to the ranch where he lived and 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 hunted for him out through the woods. He had tried to take his life, and I was just a friend and reaching out to him. And years later, 
I run into him. And uh, I, to me, I thought all those efforts were for nothing because he kind of fell out of circulation. I didn't know what happened to him. And now here he was. He'd been married and had a good growing marriage. They both were plugged into a good evangelical church. And he was joyful. And when I saw him, he came up and threw his arms around me and hugged me and told me that that effort to be his friend and to care for him in the darkest of his days made all the difference. But you see, I had lived for years thinking, well, that was a fruitless activity. That's how I felt. But his life had been changed, and I didn't even know it. It's probably a good thing I didn't know it. Because only Christ can produce the fruit. We bear it, but he produces it. Well, what is this mystery? You know what I'm going to do? Whoever, are you running it, Kath? You know what I want to do? I want to just run down all five of them. I want you to see it all at once. And then look at it with me. The mystery of living is fruit-bearing. Now, we're unaccustomed to thinking like that. But you take the tree. I'm looking out the window right now through the back of the sanctuary, and I see that tree that Mr. Wicks planted years ago. And it continues to grow and thrive. And we have to trim it back because it gets out of hand. And uh, it drops seeds. And if we're not careful, we'll have those kind of trees all over the property. What is it about that tree? It wants to live. And not only does it want to live, it wants to reproduce. Because that's what life does. Now, Mr. Wicks also brought in truckloads of river rock. And there's a bunch of river rock that you see all around our flower beds and so on. I have yet to see one of those river rocks reproduce itself. It bears no fruit. It's just a rock. And there's no life in it. And where there is life, there's fruit. And that's the mystery of life. It wants to reproduce. And Christ tells us that in this passage. I think if I remember right, I read down through verses 1 through 15, and eight different times Jesus speaks of fruit. And a law of interpreting the scripture is the law of repetition. When the word keeps appearing over and over and over in a short space, you know that he's drawing attention to the importance of bearing fruit. He wants us bearing fruit. And so the mystery of living, is fruit-bearing. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. And by the way, just so you know, he says here, my father is the vine dresser. He is the one who is the caretaker of the vine. And he prunes back those suckers that are unproductive, um, that, do, that will never bear fruit. He prunes it back. And this is no extra charge, but remember this. Sometimes pruning, being pruned, is not all that pleasant. Listen to me now. 
The Father is never closer than when he's pruning you. He's never closer than when he's pruning you. And he does so because he wants you to be more fruitful. Secondly, the mystery of fruit bearing is abiding. Look there, in fact, from verses 4 through 10, the term abiding, which means remaining, staying close to, staying connected with, drawing from, is the idea of abiding. It's different than my father-in-law, Pastor Bob, told me years ago. A different understanding of the word abiding. He said he he, uh, had a ministry when he went to Wheaton College, and they would go out to the apartment complexes, and uh, there were low-cost apartment complexes, and there were Hispanics and blacks and some whites, and they all lived in these places, but he... He, had, he met this man, and he really liked this old black man. He was an older gentleman. And he and his wife, grandparents by now, lived in this little apartment, and he would go visit him from time to time. And he told me, I went by there one time and knocked on the door, and he answered the door, and apparently they had been in some kind of argument. And they had gone back and forth in some kind of fairly robust conflict. And he said, Oh, Bob, it's probably not a good time. Let me step out. And so he stepped out the door and shut it in the hallway of this apartment. And Bob said, my father-in-law, what's wrong? What's bothering you? And he said, I don't know what to do with her. I just can't abide that woman. And uh, Kathy's dad said, ever since then, I can't read John 15 without remembering that. And that's not what this abide means. (laughs) I can't abide that woman. Abiding means staying close to. Again, repetition from verses 4 um, on down, it's, uh, it's used 12 times. 12 times in about six or seven verses. So we know that abide is crucial. The mystery of living for all of us is that we bear fruit. It shows that there's life within us. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. But these are the scriptures that bear witness of me and you will not come to me that you may have life. Christ, the true vine, is the source of life. The mystery of fruit-bearing is abiding. Abiding in Him. Living in unbroken fellowship with Him. Looking to Him every day. So that we stay connected to the vine and then we are assured that fruit-bearing will take place. Because again, we can't produce the fruit. But we can bear the fruit as branches as He produces it. You know, there's lots of different kinds of fruit. And by that, I don't mean do a word study and find everywhere that the word fruit is used in Scripture. That's not the only way to determine what fruit is. Fruit is in the fruit of character, the fruit of disposition, 
There's the fruit of a kind and forgiving heart. There's the fruit of any kind of characteristic that reflects the beauty of Christ is fruit. There's the fruit of the power of the gospel and reaching others and bearing witness to others and making Christ known to them like I did that man years ago and I thought it was a fruitless several months of trying to help that man. But God was doing something I didn't know about. And so I'm glad I did. His life was changed. Well, the mystery of fruit bearing then is abiding. Look at what Jesus said there in verse 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing of any lasting, eternal, God-glorifying significance. Thirdly, if the mystery of living is fruit-bearing, and the mystery of fruit-bearing is abiding in Christ, then the mystery of abiding is obeying. We can't abide in him if we're not obedient to him. I find it fascinating that there is such a feel-good, prosperity, gospel type of approach out there that we're to be seeking our best life now and blink a lot when you say it. (laughs) No. Whatever happened to the language of surrender, yieldedness, Lose your life that you may find it in Christ. Whatever happened to the language of obedience to the master? Or have we turned our Lord into something more like I Dream of Genie, the sitcom from years ago, where we rub the bottle of prayer and, and the Lord is supposed to leap out of the bottle and answer our wishes and wants, and, and it's all about us. Where did that come from? It's not here. Do you find it here? We're called to a life of obedience. If we're unwilling to rise every day of our lives and say, Lord, I want to bear fruit today, and I know that bearing fruit requires that I abide in you. And I know that to abide in you, I must obey you. Right? You see how simple this is? This isn't highfalutin, uh, up-in-the-cloud stuff. This is right down to where we live. Bear fruit. Show that there's life in you. Abide. And we abide by obeying. Verses 9 and 10 we read, Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You know, what is it, you guys, that 
Why is it right for me to believe in Christ and to put all my hope and faith in him who lived his earthly life in utter surrender to God the Father, who lived his life in obedience to the Father, a humility and obedience that took him all the way to the cross where he gave himself to rescue and redeem and and save me. And then having done that, he says, now I want you to be like me, Tony. I want you to abide, and, and, and the way to abide is to obey just as I obeyed my father. And somehow I have taken words like surrender and yieldedness and abandonment and consecration and words like obedience. I've taken them out of the vocabulary of my Christian life. What's wrong with us? How did that ever occur? You want to find out a shocker? Bump into a Christian friend this week. And when you bump into them and ask how they're doing and you get to talking, I dare you. I double dare you. Ask them, how's your obedience to Christ these days? That would be a very loving thing to ask because you'd be saying to them, because I want your highest good. I want to know that you're abiding in him. And I know that you can't abide in him, and without abiding, you can't bear fruit. And so how's your obedience to Christ this week? How's it going? I double dare you. See, we don't use that kind of talk anymore. It's all about us. It's how we feel. It's, it's, it's about uh, our well-being. And it's about, you know, having high, high, way, real high self-esteem. We're not supposed to have self-esteem. We're supposed to have Christ-esteem. Christ in the center of our hearts and lives, like a living flame burning within us. That's the esteem we're supposed to have. Self-esteem? What is that? Is it like some kind of delusion that I live in that I think I'm really great? I'm just a branch. I can't even produce fruit. He has to produce it. And so he says, Tony, abide in me and I in you. And then, Fruit will appear because I will do it through you. Isn't it a mysterious life we live? The mystery of obeying. See, if, it, if it's just a kind of servile fear, if it's just sort of a duty alone, then the quality of that obedience declines. What is the secret or the mystery of obedience? It's love. Love for him, right? Isn't that what he said when he talked about his father? That as the father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. 
If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as, the, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. And what was the measure or the degree to which Christ loved God the Father? And to what measure and degree did he love you, fallen, broken sinner, that needs the new birth and needs redemption and needs the forgiveness of God and needs restoration? To what measure was he willing to go? Greater love has no one than than this, that one would so obey that they would lay down their lives. The mystery of living is fruit-bearing. That's what life wants to do. You know, we can go down to the local cemetery, and everybody down there, they're all behaving themselves. They're just lying down there. Nobody's arguing. Nobody's debating. Nobody's throwing a fuss. Nobody's jealous because they'd rather have that plot than the one they're in. Everybody's lined up in rows, living or dying. Their their existence is well-ordered. But there's not life. Life produces... It must. That's the nature of life. The mystery of living is fruit-bearing. The mystery of fruit-bearing is that we must abide in him. But we cannot abide in him unless we obey him. And the quality of our obedience will never meet muster unless it's motivated by a loving heart of devotion to Christ. And the mystery of loving is knowing. That's it. You you know, you can love someone that you can't see. But it's nearly impossible to love someone, really love them, that you do not know. Even a mother, a blind mother, cherishes and loves and cares for her child though she cannot see the child because she knows the child and is deepening in her knowledge of the child. And why is it one of the greatest exclamations the Apostle Paul ever made? And this was from the prison epistles in Philippians chapter 3. What did Paul say in verse 10? Here's the great Apostle Paul. Here he has lived his life planting churches evangelizing the world, suffering at great cost, spreading the gospel, author of two-thirds of the New Testament. Here he is toward the end of his life writing the prison epistles. And in Philippians, all of a sudden, there's just this burst that comes out of his heart. After saying that I've counted everything as loss for the sake of Christ. Remember that passage? And then in verse 10, Paul says, Oh, that I might know him. Wait a minute, Paul, you don't know him? Well, yes, I do know him a little bit. Thirty years as an apostle, author of two-thirds of the New Testament, 
the great Apostle Paul, the cry of his heart is still, Lord Jesus Christ, let me know you better. Let me know you better than I've ever known you before. And the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your sufferings being made conformable unto your death. And then he goes on to say, which we all need to say, not that I have arrived or have already become perfect, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I what? I press on. Some of us are coasting. We're not pressing. Oh, pastor, I've been a Christian for 40, 50 years. I'm just, I'm just coasting for the home ground. I'm coasting. I'm just kind of plateaued and coasting for the finish line. Is that his will for you? No. Now, with age and limitation, you may have to pace yourself a little bit more than you used to. You might not want to lift that by yourself, and you may not want to climb that ladder 30 or 40 feet up like you used to when you were in your 20s and 30s, and all those kinds of things. But is there ever a time that you can find in Scripture where God says, well, now that you've reached a certain age in your Christian life, I really don't expect much fruit-bearing to come from you. Does Scripture say that? No. Can't you see me retiring? Kath and I getting a little condominium down in Florida. Can't you see my plaid shorts and my white legs and my black socks and tennis shoes out playing shuffleboard with the rest of the retirees? Can you see that? I want to live it. I have a few moments left. And then I'm going to stand in that vision of the glory of Christ. And we're going to lock eyes. And I want to prove to be his disciple. And I want there to be fruit through my life. And I can't do it unless I abide in him. And I can't abide in him unless I obey him. And my obedience, my obedience is vacant of value if it's not motivated by love. And the only way I'm going to love him in that way is to keep getting to know him better. Amen? This is the mystery. The mystery of life in him. So... How, how, would we, how do we see this? And so what I'm doing now is I'm, turning, I'm going to the bottom of the list and working our way back up. Follow along in this quote. The mystery of the vine and his branches can be understood and made personal in your life and in my life. The more I know him, the more I'll love him. And the more I love him, the more I'll obey him. And the more I obey him, the closer I'll abide in him. And the closer I abide in him, I will bear fruit, more fruit, even much fruit, to the glory of God the Father. This is the mystery that we're called to. The mystery of the vine 
and his branches. So we end with this question. Pastor, we didn't see the word mystery anywhere in these verses. Where do you get off just coming up with your own word and sticking it in here? We don't see it in the text. Well, that's true, and we'll just close in prayer now and we'll be done. (laughs) No, there is a passage, and I want you to see it. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. So we're asking this question now. Is it accurate or is it a stretch to use the term mystery in relationship, in the relationship of the vine and his branches? And let me just read this passage for you. It should be up, on the, up in front of you. The mystery which has been hidden... Paul writes, from past ages and generations. Remember I said, musterion never means a mystery that we have to solve. When the New Testament uses it, it means something that was hidden in the past but is now made crystal clear. The mystery which has been hidden from past generations and ages but has now been manifested to his, what? His saints, his friends, those called to bear fruit, to whom God willed, he chose to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is us, for the most part, And what is that mystery? There it is, isn't it? Christ, the vine. Us, the branches. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Isn't this amazing stuff? We complicate it. These principles that I gave, they're really not very complicated. Right? The mystery of living is fruit-bearing. The mystery of fruit-bearing is abiding. The mystery of abiding is obeying. The mystery of obeying is loving. And the mystery of loving is knowing him. Ever-increasing, growing to know him better. And isn't that how the Apostle Peter ended his last letter? But grow, he said, in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory forever and ever. What a life. Oh, I know you've got to get up with the alarm tomorrow and go to work. I get it, the same old here, I get it get up and I shave and I get ready and I pack a lunch and I get in the car and every day just seems to bleed into the next, to the next, to the next. Please, my brothers and sisters, don't lose in the, in the, in the mundane routine of everyday life. Don't lose the sense of wonder and mystery that you have been united to Jesus Christ who is the true vine. And through you, the branch, he wants to bear 
or produce fruit that you can bear. And then remember, when God the Father draws up very intimately and close, remember, he's never nearer than when he's pruning us so that we might bear more fruit. Isn't this a wonderful chapter? Isn't the Lord good? And everything that he chooses to produce through you, he's going to turn around in eternity and reward you for. (laughs) That seems amazing to me. Everything about the Christian life, when you start looking at it, he's going to, you're going to arrive at a place you've been homesick ever since you became a Christian for. Soon as you're born again, you're homesick for heaven. Just the way it is. And so you're homesick for a place you've never been, You're going to find yourself in a multitude that can't be numbered, and you love them all, and they love you. The sin that you struggled with and lamented and hated and wished you could be rid of is now finally behind you. And now you're in the glory of all that God has prepared for you, and as you move through into eternity, you could go 10,000 years without ever hearing even a crossword or an impatient response. And you will especially not hear of any of the horrors and atrocities and cruelties that we hear about in this world every day. That's behind us. And there, in the glory, we'll be reaping the benefits of rewards for all eternity for fruit that we could not produce. Only he could produce through us. Isn't that a wonder to be a Christian? It is, isn't it? This is one of those messages where it's like an airplane that's trying to come in, and the control tower says, we're sorry, runways are still filled up, Uh, you'll have to circle. And I come to the end of sermons sometimes, and I'm so exercised and so enriched by it that I don't want to land. Can we just circle for a while? That's how I feel. And I know some of you look at your watch, and pretty soon the nursery people are going to be out here waving at me from the back corner. But I feel that way at times. I just want to live here. I just want to stay here in these wonderful things and share them with you and enjoy them with you. He's so good. But I must stop. I wonder if there are clocks in heaven. You think there are? Maybe my special place that the Lord, by his grace, has for me, there's not a clock in sight, maybe. And I can worship him and adore him and enjoy him and never have to glance. Well, like Kathy prayed, we are a smaller group today, and It's toward the end of the summer. This happens every August. We're kind of eating up the last of the weekends we have left. And I don't, I don't feel in any way like if, you know, if a family needs a day on the lake and a weekend, they've worked real hard and, you know, they need some time with their family, that's good. I know Ted, I've been hoping Ted and his dad and family, I hope the men have a great time. They're in Alaska, I think, catching salmon. 
and uh, or steelhead or or tuna or I don't know what, but I hope they have a great time and I hope they catch fish and I hope they're they really enjoy being together as well. Well, let's all stand together and we'll close. I think we'll just close in prayer, Kath, and uh, let's just pause to hear in his presence together. The true vine. What a beautiful metaphor, Lord, to use of yourself. We're not silly enough, Lord, to think you're actually a vine. But the vine is pointing us to the reality of what it means to be branches, to be a part of you and you of us. So, Lord, as we go out this week with these, these truths, I guess uh, my concern, Lord, is that we just chalk it up to another Sunday Oh, that was a pretty good message. That was kind of interesting how that was put together. Instead of laying hold of the truth, that the, that the mystery and secret of life itself is bearing fruit. And bearing fruit requires that we abide in you and you in us. Lord, we want to bear fruit. We want to abide. We know we must obey you and walk with you and surrender to you if we're to experience that kind of a life. And we want to do so because we love you. We're devoted to you. And in all of that, Lord, that we would all continue to get to know you really know you, not just know about you, Lord, but to know you in real living experience as you manifest yourself to us. Thank you, Lord, for the promise that he that hath my commands and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. And he will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and I will reveal myself to him. Oh, Lord, reveal yourself to us each new day and teach us to abide in you. Thank you for these moments together. And as, uh, as Will read the scriptures to us, your word will not return to you void, but will accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. Lord, take this message and accomplish your purpose in each of our lives. I ask it, Lord Jesus, the true vine in your name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.